Some of you may have actually found yourself in a situation like this before. But just really quick, just to open this morning, I want everyone to just, just, let's just close our eyes. You can get comfortable. You can sit back in your seat. Let your shoulders relax. Take a breath. We're going to take a minute just to open this morning and just... We're just going to imagine, and I'm going to paint this picture, and I want you to let this unfold in your head, so, so just stay with me. I want us to imagine that we're just in the routine of life. Everything seems normal. You could say everything seems good, even. Monday through Friday, you wake up. You get out of bed. Maybe you make yourself a cup of coffee. Pretty soon it's time to grab your keys off the kitchen counter. Head to work. You work a 9 to 5, Monday through Friday. Ten, fifteen minute drive to work. Still kind of waking up, you finally pull into the parking lot, walk into your office, you find your seat, immediately log into your computer, you answer some emails, maybe fill out some paperwork that you had to do last week, didn't quite get around to it. But then maybe around noon, one o'clock, it's lunchtime, you get a little bit of a break, grab some coworkers, and you guys all decide to go into town, grab a bite to eat, enjoy each other's company, laugh a little. But then pretty soon it's time to go back to the office. You've got a meeting at 3 o'clock. Can't miss that. And then as your day comes to an end at the office, you get back into your car, drive home 10, 15 minutes. Maybe you decide to play some music on an old staticky radio. And then you get home, you get to the house. It's time to make dinner. Hope to spend just a few hours with your family, spend some time together, enjoy each other's company, maybe help the kids with homework. And then your night comes to an end. It's time to rest. You get into bed, and then you drift off to sleep. And then you wake up the next day, and it's the same thing. But then Friday afternoon comes around, the weekend hits, and you get some time to yourself. You get some time with family, some time with friends. Maybe you get to kick back on the couch and watch some football with a snack. You can take a nap in the middle of the day. But then Monday hits, and it's the same thing over and over again. And and this lifestyle I'm describing isn't bad. It's normal. It's, it's regular. It's certainly not sinful. And keep your eyes shut just for, for a minute longer. And just try to imagine. Let's say one morning you wake up. It's, it's a Friday. You hear your alarm going off on your iPhone. You reach your hand over and you push, you push the snooze button just to buy yourself eight or ten more minutes of sleep. 
But when you lay your head back on the pillow, you don't close your eyes. You, you leave them cracked open. And you, you peer up at the ceiling, and the thought crosses your mind. What if God is calling me to something bigger? And you don't give it much thought at the moment, but it just crosses your mind. What if God is calling me to something bigger? Okay, we can open our eyes now. I think purpose is something that we all struggle with. I think purpose is something that we desire not only as humans, as people, but also as individual parts of the body of Christ, as, as Christians, as followers of Jesus. And, and maybe you've felt this lately. Maybe you've felt this sense of uh, unfulfillment. You feel like something's missing. Maybe I'm not exactly where I'm supposed to be. I'm not doing exactly what I'm supposed to do. Maybe you feel like I'm, I'm speaking to you right now. Maybe you feel, feel like I, that's been this week for me. I feel like I've hit a wall. Or maybe you're thinking that's been the last three, four, five years for me. I think it's so easy for us to get caught up in the rat race of life. It feels meaningless. God has to have a greater desire for us, right? God has to have a greater desire. We're going to be walking through the first 10 verses of Jeremiah this morning. It's going to be Jeremiah 1, 1 through 10. And I'm sure some of us will read this passage, and about midway through the morning, you'll think, you know, God, God made God made Jeremiah's calling pretty easy. You know, things were pretty cut and dry for Jeremiah. God kind of laid Jeremiah's calling out on a silver platter. Jeremiah, this is what you're here to do. This is how I want you to do it. And maybe you're thinking, I just, I wish God would do the same for me. But in reality, it's not, it's not that simple for us. It's not that easy. We need direction. We need to understand where we, as individual parts, of the body of Christ fit. Why are we here? So I think the question that we're left with, the question that all of this leads to, is how do we live up to God's callings? How do we live up to God's callings? Okay, we're going to get into the passage now. And before I start, I'm just going to preface. I'm going to start with verses 1, 1 through 5. It's the first half, and then we'll go on to 6 through 10 later. Okay. All right, this is Jeremiah 1, 1 through 5. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, one of the priests who were in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. It came also in the days of Joachim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, and until the end of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the captivity of Jerusalem in the fifth month. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. 
I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Okay, we can breathe now. There's a lot there. There's a lot, especially in the first three verses. There's a lot of intimidating language that we see in Scripture sometimes. And sometimes, even if we're familiar with reading the biblical text, we're kind of like, uh, I'm not sure about that. I don't know what that means. We see a lot of king language, uh, king of blank. We see some genealogy, son of blank. We also see uh, some, some dates, some years, and the 13th year, the 11th, whatever, uh, century year. Um, and that just scares us sometimes. We aren't comfortable with that. But what I want us to be able to do is uh, analyze that. I want us to evaluate it and pick out the information that can kind of give us a picture of, you know, not only what this passage has to offer, not only what the book of Jeremiah has to offer, but also just giving us a sense of who is this young prophet, Jeremiah. So Jeremiah was part of a priestly family, we know. And this means he was part of a bloodline that held a special place in his community, acting as a vehicle through which God represents God's self to the community, to his people. Jeremiah was a young man. Scholars think he was probably around 19, 20, 21 years old. Not an old guy. Not experienced. We know that he was from Anathoth, which is a small village right outside of Jerusalem. And Jerusalem and Anathoth were super close together in the southern kingdom of Judah. We think probably about three miles apart. And then just to put this on a little bit of a timeline for us, uh, this is all taking place 600 years before Jesus. This is a super politically tense time in Israel. These are the final days of Judah, the southern kingdom. Okay, let's move on. I, I want to talk about the fourth and fifth verses now. I didn't hit quite as much on those. And it gives us the initial dialogue between the Lord and the reluctant prophet. I'll read it again. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Okay, and that's, that's where we'll stop for now. We get some time to set with the first five verses of our passage. The Lord comes to Jeremiah. Now, whenever in Scripture, whenever I read and I read the words, the Lord comes to or the Lord speaks to blank, I feel like the biblical author is reaching out and saying, pause. Pay attention to what you're about to read. This is important. This is a big deal. Because the Lord is speaking. And then after this, I think this is kind of where things start to get interesting. All of verse 5 seems dedicated to God assuring Jeremiah that while he's just now receiving this call uh, to a life of prophecy, this is a plan that God has laid out. This is his calling. The Lord says that Jeremiah was appointed. Jeremiah was appointed. What a strong word to use, appointed. And not just appointed before he was born, but before he was formed in the womb. The Lord is telling Jeremiah, this is why I made you. Jeremiah, this is why you're here. Think about that. 
let that settle. Try to understand the weight that that carries. You know, when we talk about, when we talk about callings, and I hear that word calling, my mind, my mind instantly goes to one place, and I don't, I don't think it's that big of a stretch. I think your minds probably go to a similar, a similar place. My, my mind goes to a phone call, right? A calling. It's a call we take. And as I'm thinking about this, this idea of phone calls, how does a phone call relate to God placing calls on our life? I thought about it, and I think that phone calls are interesting because the way we look at a phone call, the value that we place on a phone call, maybe even whether we decide to answer a phone call depends on one thing. It depends on who's calling. Who, who's calling our phone? Who wants to speak to us? What do they have to say? What's the little name that runs across the top of the screen? The caller ID, the phone number. Who's calling? And I think we can maybe even take this a little bit further, continue to paint this picture, maybe use some hypotheticals. Let's say... Let's say you've got an old friend from college, maybe a college roommate, and you guys were, you were close. You had a great relationship. You were best friends. Inseparable back in the day. But you know, as time goes on, you get different jobs, maybe take different career paths. Maybe you move to one state, they move to another. And you guys, you're still close, you still have a good relationship, but you don't get to talk to each other, you don't get to see each other much anymore. If you were uh, driving in your car one afternoon and you feel your phone buzz in your pocket, you pull it out, just calling, it's your old friend from college. That's a call we're excited to take. We're eager to take that call. And it doesn't matter if our friend is breaking some uh, life news to us or if they just want to catch up and talk for a little while. It doesn't matter if we get to talk to them for two hours or just five minutes. It's a call we're excited to take because we value who's calling. And I think we could even take it one step further. Try to think... Maybe we have a uh, celebrity, maybe an actress or an actor, maybe a famous athlete. And you've got that person in your mind and you, or you're just thinking, I would do anything to just have a conversation with them. Maybe you've got a question to ask them. I'd do anything to just drop everything that I'm doing in the moment and answer a phone call from them. How cool would that be? Some names that come to mind. Uh, I go to school with Knoxville, Dolly Parton. You know, Dolly Parton gives you a phone call. You're probably, probably going to answer. Billy Joel, maybe. Basketball fans in here. LeBron James, Michael Jordan, John Calipari. Maybe not John Calipari this year. <laughs> Taylor Swift. If you get, a, you get a call from one of these people, it's almost like your heart drops. Like, I don't know how Taylor Swift got my phone number, but I'm, I'm going to answer. It's a call we're excited to take. Like I said, we're dropping everything we do around us to answer that phone call. Because we value who's calling. We could also flip the script with this. Let's say it's, your, it's a Saturday. 
Saturday afternoon. It's your day off. It's been a busy week. You're tired. Maybe you're leaning back in a reclining chair. You've got a throw blanket over you. You're tucked in. It's been a good day. It's been a restful day. Maybe you've got an old episode of Seinfeld on or a, a football game. And your eyes, your eyes are getting droopy. You're tired. Maybe you're about to fall into uh, a little bit of a nap, midday nap that we talked about. And then your phone lights up on the, the couch cushion beside you. You glance over, you take a look, and your boss, your boss is calling you on your day off. I don't know if any of you have had that happen to you where your boss calls you on your day off, but it's, it's not a good feeling. I don't, I don't want to take this call. I don't want to answer this. They're going to they're gonna ask me to come into the office, the restaurant, the, the shop. They need help. They want me to pick up a shift. They're going to ask me a question. This, this is my day off. This is supposed to be, this is, this is my day. I'm supposed to be able to rest. I don't want to answer this call because it's an inconvenience to me. And I think you probably see where I'm going with this. What I want us to recognize is that the way that we judge, the way that we determine a call is based on who's calling. But when it's God who calls, when God has a calling for us, that's something of value. It's important and it means something. I think the cool thing about callings is that they're unique. You know, I, I, I can't look into the crowd, I can't look into the church and say, you know, this, this is your calling. This is how you should live your life. This is how God wants you to live your life. This is how God wants you to live your life. I don't know. I, I can't do that. And we'll talk a little bit more about that as we go on this morning. The important thing is that we recognize that God is the one who calls. And you know, the thing about this is that if someone else were calling us to live in a certain way, if Dolly Parton uh, or John Calipari, if Taylor Swift called me and said, Brennan, I, I've been thinking, and I, I think you should start to live a certain way. I think you should start to devote your time, energy, and effort towards something different. You know, I, I can shrug that off. I can choose to ignore that. Even if an old friend or your boss calls you and says, Brennan, I've been doing a lot of thinking, and you know, we've gotten... We've gotten pretty close over time. I think, I think you should drop out of college. I think you should move back home. You know, that's, that's a call that I can ignore. When it's God who calls, there is no ignoring that. It's a call of value. It's a call that's important. Remember, Jeremiah, this is why I made you. Okay, we're going to move on now. We've got, we've got the first part of this done. So that was our big question. How do we live up to God's callings? Well, the first part is that we must recognize that God is the one who calls. And there's a lot that comes with that. God is the one who calls. 
Okay, moving on to verses 6 through 10 now. I'm going to read it all. Then I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say, I am only a youth, for to all whom I send you, you shall go, and wherever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. This is verse 9. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words into your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. Okay. Again, there's a lot there. So these last five verses... These last five verses of our passage gives us the primary dialogue between a young Jeremiah and his Lord. God directly explains to Jeremiah, this is what you're meant to do. This is your calling. Then God reassures Jeremiah. He has no reason to be afraid. It says, for I am with you to deliver you. And then I mentioned verse 9. And if there's one thing you take away from this passage today, I hope it's verse 9. Verse 9, God reaches out his hand and touches the mouth of Jeremiah, putting, his own, putting God's own words into Jeremiah's mouth. And why is this so important? Why am I drawing so much attention to verse 9? When God reaches out and touches the mouth of Jeremiah. Because this is the moment that God equips. This is the moment that God equips Jeremiah. And really, this idea of God equipping those who are called is scattered throughout Scripture. We see it uh, in many more places. It's far beyond just these first ten verses of Jeremiah. I've got a few biblical examples. We've got Exodus 4, it's verses 10 through 12. We see God equipping Moses one of the most important, influential names in all of Scripture after he had been called. I'm in an Isaiah class right now, and in Isaiah we read about the calling of a prophet to the people of Israel, and sure enough, God equips Isaiah. I think another good example of this would be Solomon. When Solomon was called, he was appointed to build the temple and follow David as king. So as we follow the narrative of Solomon through Scripture, we see God equipping and exalting him to fulfill that bold, seemingly outrageous calling. And you know, we could keep going with this repetition that we see because we see this repetition of calling and equipping, calling and equipping, calling followed by an equipping. It's threaded throughout the Bible. We see it everywhere. Equipping follows the calling, but both come from God. I can remember being really young, probably, probably about nine years old, eight or nine, and I was told that we're going to take on this massive project at the house. My dad lets me know we're going to build a deck 
We're going to build a deck that wraps around the backside of the house. And I was excited. You know, I wanted so badly to help with this deck. Okay, I can, I can do that. At nine years old, I can, whatever you need, you let me know. I can build this deck with you. I was so eager to be a part of it. It was like I had a, a calling to build this deck. You know, I, I need to contribute. I need to be out there with you. So I don't know if you've ever been a, a part of a team building a deck or doing any sort of massive outdoor project like that, but it's, it's not something that happens quickly. It's a multiple-day project, actually a multiple-week project, and it happened through the summer of that year. And I still remember it being early in the morning. I'd be wrapped up in a blanket in my bed just to wake up to my dad tugging the blanket down grabbing the back of my shoulder. Come on, Brennan. Wake up. We've got to work on the deck. We want to beat the sun. We don't want it to be too hot. Okay, roll out of bed. Get ready. Maybe slide on a pair of old jeans. Put a t-shirt on. Maybe some paint stains splattered across the front. A hole or two on the side. Then some old tennis shoes that I play outside in. Okay, I'm fit for the job now. And we go outside, and I basically do whatever my dad asks. And I remember the hot Kentucky sun beating down on the back of our necks and our arms. And we'd be lucky to just get a little bit of a breeze. It was hot. It was muggy. But I remember even in those conditions... And it wasn't always fun, but I still, like I said, I was so eager to have a hand in this. I wanted to help build the deck. And you know, there weren't a whole lot of things that I actually could do at nine years old, building a deck. I certainly wasn't allowed to use any of the big equipment, any of the cool tools, off limits. The saw, no chance. One of the tools that I was allowed to use, though, was a hammer. So I remember going outside, stepping outside onto the half-built deck, and I bend down and I grab the hammer, snatch it from my dad's toolbox, and I'd carry the hammer around throughout the day, and looking back, I don't think I actually used the hammer very often. I think the real purpose of me holding it was just in case my mom happened to peer outside the window and check out what my dad and I were doing, she saw Brennan's got the hammer. He's hard at work. He's doing his part. There wasn't a whole lot that I could do, though. I wanted, wanted to help out in any way. Sometimes that meant going down to the garage and grabbing a tool that my dad was missing. Sometimes that meant going inside and just grabbing a drink for my dad and I, ice water, tea, lemonade if we've got it. Sometimes that meant dragging one stack of boards to the other end of the house. But I do remember one morning, my dad was sitting on the edge of the deck opening a pack of screws, and he says, Brennan, can you, can you come over here for a second? He says, I've got a job for you. And you never know what's going to follow that statement. So I run over, I bend down to my dad, what's up, what can, I, what can I help you with? What's the job? How can I help? How can I build this deck? And he says, I want you to drive the screws into the boards. I want you to drive the, I want you to drive the boards down. So that's an important job. You know, you don't want to step on one end of the deck, one end of the board, and the other end shoot up. It needs to be flat. It needs to be steady. It needs to be sturdy and safe. 
Okay, it's an important job. I, I can do that. So I grab the screws, and I grab my hammer, and some of you already see the issue with this. Go to the other end of the deck, just a few feet from my dad, and I, I bend down. I line up the screw, I take my hammer, I start banging it, banging the head of the screw over and over and over again. Hit my thumb a few times, I bent screws. And probably about five, ten minutes of this, I'm getting frustrated. And I hear a sigh. <sighs> Brennan, what, what are you doing? And I, I look back, probably with some frustration in my eyes. I'm laying the boards down. I'm, I'm hammering the screws into the board. Dad, you just told me to do this. And with a smirk on his face, he says, Brennan, you're hammering screws. You don't, you don't hammer screws. You have to drill screws. Screws have threads along the side. You, you hammer nails. So before he finishes his sentence, you're hammering screws, he takes the hammer from my hand and replaces it with a power drill that we have. He gave me the right tool for the job. And after he showed me how to line up the screw properly and be safe with the drill, I wasn't perfect at it. There were still some flaws in my technique. But I, I got it. I, I was able to drive the screws into the board. I was able to lay the boards for the deck. And that was exciting for me. It gave me a sense of fulfillment. And I didn't realize this at the time, but what my dad was doing in that moment was equipping me. He was equipping me with knowledge, of course. Brennan, you don't hammer screws. And that stuck with me. He was equipping me with experience just by allowing me to be out with him, helping in any way that I was able to help. And he was equipping me with the exact tool that I needed for the job. In the same way that God equips us for the callings in our lives. I think confidence is really the one factor that can either drive us towards action or prevent us from taking it. But I think if we believe that God is the one who equips, then we can move forward. We can pursue our callings without any hesitation. We have no reason to fear. And like I said, I don't, I don't know what that looks like for you. We've got diversity, uniqueness within the body of Christ. My calling is different than yours. And your calling is different than yours. They can be so unique to each of us. So that could mean, that could mean changing your major in college. I don't, I don't want to change my major in college. That's going to cost me a couple extra thousand. I can't do that. I don't want to do that. I don't want to be living on campus for two extra semesters. I'm supposed to graduate. Even though you know that's, that's what God needs me to do. That's what God wants me to do. That could mean 
stepping away from that nine-to-five job that we talked about, that job that everyone around you seems to approve of, everyone around you seems to support and like. And it's not bad, but that's not what God wants me to do. You know I need to be somewhere else. God wants me somewhere else. That's not my calling. I think the important thing to remember as we navigate this, as we think about the callings and the ways that God has equipped us in our own lives, is to remember that God will provide the resources, the mentors, the boldness, the strength, the experience that we need to live up to our callings. And we can have confidence in this. We can have assurance in this. Not only does God call, but God equips. So again, we're left with this question. How do we live up to God's callings? We live up to God's callings by following where God equips. We live up to God's callings by following where God equips. Okay, let's, let's close our eyes again. Lean back, breathe. Let your shoulders and your back relax. Let's go back to imagining the scenario that we began with. You've gotten comfortable in your life. You're in that routine that just repeats itself, the same thing over and over and over again. The weekend hits, which is cool, but then it feels like you're just dreading Monday, wishing your weeks away. You've just, you've hit a wall. And let's say it's that same Friday afternoon that we talked about finished a long day at work, got through your meeting, head out to the parking lot, you grab your keys, unlock your car, sit down in your old leather seat, you start to pull out of the driveway, make your way onto your road. Maybe you crack the window a little bit. You've got air blowing through your hair, the wind. And maybe you reach out, maybe you reach your finger out just to tap the button to turn that radio on, that old staticky radio, but then you stop yourself. Right before you hit the button, you, you realize, I've got a second here. I, I've, I've got some time. I've got a few minutes for myself, a few minutes to reflect, a few minutes with God even. And then that, that same thought that we talked about crosses your mind, the same thought that you began your day with. Does God have something bigger for me? And then you get this feeling. Starts to set in. Starts to settle. Maybe, you're, maybe your chest even gets a little tight the more you think about it. And then it, it hits you. This, this nine to five job that I've been working, 
It's unfulfilling. It's, it's not living up to my calling. The way that I've been spending my money over the past few years, that's not living up to my calling. The way that I've spent my time and my energy and my effort on my weekends, my days away from work, that has not been living up to my calling. The way that I've treated my wife, the way that I've treated my husband through these stressful times, that's not living up to my calling. The way that I've handled a broken relationship with my daughter or my son, that's not living up to my calling. The way that I've been living my life, it's not living up to my calling. And at that moment, when we have a sense of unfulfillment, maybe a sense of failure, we feel like God is mad at me, I'm mad at myself, we have the opportunity to look to ourselves, look at the callings God has on our life, look to God, and we can have confidence that we can live up to those callings. We can live up to the callings in our life because God calls and God equips The importance of callings, these callings that we've talked all morning about, the callings on your life from God, the importance of those, they they don't diminish once we leave the building this morning. They don't diminish once we pull out of the parking lot. They don't diminish once your workday starts tomorrow the workday that I'm sure some of us are dreading. We have the privilege of going home today with a new understanding, this new knowledge of how to live up to God's calling. But that's only valuable. That's only a valuable understanding that we have if we decide to take it seriously. We have all the tools that we need to live up to our callings. We have all the tools that we need to live up to our callings for God. But now it's on us to fulfill that. can keep our eyes shut and we're going we're gonna to pray together. God, we're, we're thankful for this time together. We should never undermine, undervalue this time that we have as one body, Lord, as your body as the church. We're thankful for opportunities. We're thankful for mornings like this, God. But as we leave this morning, but not not just as we leave, Lord, as we begin our week, as we continue with this month of February, as we continue with our year, 
There's so much ahead of us. It can be overwhelming. It can seem, seem impossible. It can stress us out. And we look, we look to our lives and we ask, God, I don't know if I have a calling. God, I, I don't know if my calling is worth living up to. I don't know if I want to. I don't know if I want to answer that call. God, if we, if we hit that wall, if that thought crosses our mind, this idea that we've talked about together all morning, God, help us have confidence in you. Help us remember that we can live up to these callings. We can, we can do that. And God, we can only do that because you are the one who calls. And God, you also equip. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.